Welcome to Reaching Your Peak, an educational storytelling mini-series of the Elk Talk podcast. This is Corey Jacobson, and today I'm going to be sharing a story from one of my previous do-it-yourself public land elk hunts, and then breaking down a strategy or a tactic that was instrumental in the success of that hunt. Reaching Your Peak is brought to you by Peak Refuel. If you're looking for delicious freeze-dried meals that are made with 100% real ingredients, including premium USDA meats, you've probably already heard of Peak Refuel. Their meals have nearly twice as much protein as the competition, which is important for fueling your body in the backcountry. There's no fillers, no empty calories, just premium nutrition that truly meets the needs of elk hunters. And the taste is second to none. My personal favorites are their homestyle chicken and rice and the beef stroganoff, but they have a huge selection of other incredible meals like chicken alfredo, biscuits and gravy, chicken coconut curry, sweet pork and rice, mountain berry granola, and a whole lot more. If you want to taste the difference, visit peakrefuel.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 15% and get free shipping on your next order. All right, well, welcome, and thanks for joining me in this limited time mini-series of the Elk Talk podcast. My goal for this series is just to simply share stories from previous elk hunts from past elk seasons to help fuel the fire leading up to elk season and maybe hopefully help you reach your peak in elk hunting success along the way. I'll be publishing a new episode every other week, so You'll find one in between the regular episodes of Elk Talk Podcast from now all the way through elk season. It's just going to be me sharing an elk hunting story, and then I'm going to be talking about strategies or tactics that contributed to the success of that hunt. And to kick things off here, I'm going to be giving away a new prime bow in this episode. So stay tuned for the details on how you can win, which I'm going to be sharing with you just a little later in this episode. But for right now, let's kick off the storytelling. The year was 1999, and I just turned 24 years old, and I was still a very inconsistently successful elk hunter. In fact, up to this point, I'd only ever killed two elk, and I'd never killed elk in back-to-back seasons. But this was the first time that I had a full, dedicated week of actual vacation time that I'd be using to hunt elk. And I intended for this to be the season that I extended my success streak, even if it was just two elk in a row. I chose to hunt the middle of the month that season and took off the 11th through the 18th of September. I'm sure back then I wasn't looking at the moon phase, but coincidentally, I started hunting right when there was a new moon that season, so prime time from a moon phase standpoint. The week that we hunted was filled with several elk hunting lessons learned. My hunting partner at the time, Lance, and I spent the first couple days hiking to the tops of the farthest mountains we could find with very little to no elk or elk bugles to be heard. On day three, we decided to take the afternoon off, and we headed into town to fill up our gas tanks, both uh, in the truck and of our own, 
And I'm sure the dinner there at the gas station probably consisted of chicken crispitos and bean and cheese burritos chased down by a Mountain Dew or some other variation of convenience store health food. But we were standing there next to the truck in our camo clothes and we we're waiting for the gas pump to finish its job when this older and noticeably intoxicated gentleman staggered over in our direction. And as he approached, he said, are you hunting elk? And we both exchanged a glance and I told him that, yeah, we were hunting elk. And he asked if we'd had any luck and we reluctantly told him we hadn't. We were struggling at that point to even find elk. And he laughed a pretty insulting laugh. And as he turned to walk away, he said, if you can't hear the highway, you've gone too far. And it took a lot of self-control for Lance and I to keep from bursting out in laughter right there. But we laughed about the unsolicited advice from that drunk stranger all the way back to camp that evening. And in between our best attempts to mimic the guy uh, as he provided that advice to us, we also wondered out loud where we should spend the remaining daylight that we had left for that evening hunt. A few miles before we made it back to our camp, we decided to turn off on another paved road, a really heavily traveled road that we'd previously avoided just due to the heavy traffic that we saw coming and going from there during our hunt. I was in the passenger seat and it caught me so off guard that it took a few seconds to spit out what I was trying to say, but I finally was able to blurt out, there's a six point bull. And the bull was standing just 40 yards or so off the pavement. And as quickly as we could get the truck stopped, we jumped out and grabbed our bows and bugle tubes and foolishly hoping that the bull would just stand there and let us walk back up the road and get a shot, headed back up the road in its direction. The bull by that point had obviously retreated back into the timber. So we snuck back up along the edge of the road and stood there trying to wrap our minds around why a big bull would just be standing right next to a main road. And as we were standing there, a bugle rang out from up the ridge in front of us, and then another, and then another. And we knew we didn't have time to hike all the way up on the ridge and try to call the bulls in that night, but we at least now had an exciting game plan for the next morning. Keep in mind that at this point, we hadn't had a lot of elk hunting success in our lives. And so seeing a big mature bull alongside the road definitely gave us uh, a lot to be excited about. And as we climbed back in the cab of the truck, immediately we started doing our impressions of the drunk guy and his advice. But at the same time, uh, as we did, I'm sure we were wondering if maybe there might have been some truth in what he had said. The next morning, we parked in that same pullout just down the road from where we had seen the big bull the night before. And as we pulled our bows and backpacks out of the bed of the truck, we heard bugles up on the exact same ridge we had heard them on just 12 hours before. All morning, we ended up chasing multiple bugles up the mountain, but we weren't able to set eyes on any of the elk and never really got a chance to even set up and try to call one of the bulls in. After a few hours of chasing the bugles, they started to taper off, so we headed back down to the truck and planned to just drive back to camp to take our standard afternoon nap. It was probably 10.30 or 11 in the morning, and on a whim, as we were driving back, we decided to just pull over at another pullout and see if we could get something to bugle. And my bugle from right there, standing next to a paved road at that pullout, was answered immediately from up on top of a timbered knob to our left. So we decided, although we were a little bit hesitant, that our nap could probably wait a little while. So we climbed up the mountain, and within 15 or 20 minutes, we made it onto a north-facing bench where we figured the bull had likely been bedded down, or at least heading to bed down uh, when he answered us. So 
We let out a bugle and the bull responded immediately again and we scrambled a little bit closer to the bull and got set up. And I moved out in front, Lance stayed back to call and he got the bull fired up uh, within just a couple minutes there. And then it went completely quiet. I was just set up there. Uh, I think I was kneeled down next to a tree and scanning the timber, uh, expecting to see that bull step out right there in the shooting lane any second. After a couple minutes of silence, though, I heard a bow go off behind me, and then followed by some loud crashing from something obviously large running down the ridge adjacent to us. So I slid my arrow back in the quiver and ran back to where Lance had been calling from to see what had happened, and he really excitedly was trying to explain that the bull had circled around our setup and snuck in quietly and came out back behind him. And he had heard a branch break, so he was already ready, had a knocked arrow. And when the bull stepped out of the brush just 30 or 35 yards away, he uh, was able to get a shot. So as we stood there straining to pick up on any sounds that might indicate what our next move should be, if we could hear you know, branches breaking or the bull crashing below us, uh, we picked up on the hum of truck tires from the highway about a half mile below us, and it caught both of our attention, and we looked at each other and simultaneously whispered, if you can't hear the highway, you've gone too far. And that bull was laying dead uh, in just a thick tangle of alders about 60 yards away from where Lance had shot him. And we had him cut up and packed back out to the truck just a little before dark that night. The next couple days were quite a bit slower, and for some reason, we decided to go back to our all-day death marches into areas that we were having troubles even finding elk. It was, you know, we said at the time it was 4th and 20, and we knew the odds of filling another tag were stacked pretty heavily against us. And so we're driving back to camp uh, the night before our last day to hunt, and we were stopping at every pullout along the way trying to get a, a response. And for some reason, that night, it was quiet. So those nights before the last day of the hunt, uh, when there's still unfilled tags, usually, even still today sometimes, come with a lot of indecisiveness. And at that point, we were definitely struggling to come up with a good game plan for the last day. Ultimately, about the only elk we had any action from that week was within earshot of the main road, so we just decided to use the road to cover as much area as possible the next morning and hope we could get a bull to bugle. That next morning was crystal clear and crisp cold out. It was a heavy frost, and I was kind of happy that we were in the cab of the truck and uh, driving from pull out to pull out but the second place that we pulled over we got an answer from a really mature sounding bull across the other side of the creek bottom uh, across the road from us so we kind of forgot for a little bit about how tired our legs were and just jumped out grabbed our backpacks and our bow my bow and started up the hill in the direction of the bugle and there's still probably five or ten minutes left before it was light enough to legally shoot and once we made it across the creek and started up that other side, we could hear the bull still bugling on his own uh, up above us on the hillside. And it sounded like he had moved up the hill a bit further than where he had been when he first answered us. So we just went quiet and kind of moved up the hill behind him, hoping we could gain some ground before we set up and started calling. Also not wanting to call too early and have him come in before it was light enough to shoot. So... 
we got within probably 300 yards or so of the bull and I moved up 20 or 30 yards in front of Lance to set up and he stayed back to call and when he called the bull responded immediately and within just a, a minute or two I could hear the bull crashing down the hillside and into the thick brush that covered the hillside directly above me. The bull came most of the way down the hill and hung up probably 60 or 70 yards up above me. I could catch just a glimpse of his tan body moving through the brush every once in a while, but that was about all I could see. And after a minute or two of silence, the bull turned and headed back up the mountain. So Lance and I met up briefly, and then we turned up the game trail and started moving up the hillside towards the bull. And he was still bugling at this time. The wind was still coming down hard uh, down the hill towards us, but it sounded like the bull had made it up to uh, a little finger ridge on the hillside and then dropped over into another draw on the back side of the hill. So we made it up to the top of that little ridge and bugled and he answered back but he was just across the little draw that separated us. And there was quite a bit of timber in there and brush so it was really thick. We couldn't see, he couldn't see us. So we scrambled down the ridge that we'd actually just climbed up a little bit to make sure that we had the wind in our favor. And as we dropped down underneath the bull, we wanted to make sure that he didn't stand his ground or even come down the hill and, and get below us. So just like the previous setup, we, uh, we got in close. I moved ahead, Lance called, and this time the bull turned and immediately just came busting down the hill in our direction. And he was even more fired up than that first time. I came to full draw, and as soon as I saw the antlers coming through the alders, I thought, this is it, it's going to happen. But just before he stepped out, like they so often do, the bull stopped. And he was probably only 35 or 40 yards away from me. And I could see his head and his antlers, but there was no way I was going to be able to get a shot into that thick brush and the alders that were hiding his body. So at this point, I'm standing there at full draw, hoping he'll step out. And he's looking for, for the elk that he heard bugle. And while I'm there at full draw, he let out a couple really intense and aggravated sounding bugles. But when he didn't see what was annoying him and didn't see what he wanted to see, he just turned around and started making his way back up the mountain again. And once again, Lance and I met up and regrouped and decided to take off chasing him up the mountain. And one more time, we were able to get close enough to him to get his attention. And this time he stood his ground for a minute or two, but he wasn't willing to come and turn back down the hill and, and come into our setup again. When he turned and started making his way back up to the top of the main ridge, he was moving a lot faster than he had been, and he wasn't bugling near as much as he had been the whole way up the mountain. So we scrambled straight up the hill that was a steep, brushy hillside, and as we approached the top of the main ridge, we stopped really just to catch our breath. We hadn't heard a bugle for probably, I don't know, six or eight minutes at least. We're dripping with sweat and struggling to get enough air into our lungs, and to make it even worse, we did uh, let out a bugle there and, and nothing responded just silence. So we figured the bull had probably dropped off the back side of the mountain onto the north facing uh, side of the hill. And by then it was probably 10 o'clock or so, somewhere, you know, mid-morning. And we just figured the bull was done for the morning. We were probably 12 to 1500 feet in elevation up above the truck that we had climbed that morning. And while we'd had a super exciting and action-packed morning, the reality that we probably weren't going to fill that last tag was becoming pretty clear. Three times that morning, the bull had turned and either crashed right down the mountain into our setup or at least turned back and gave us his attention. But 
all three of those times, the bull hadn't been able to see what he wanted to see. And each time he turned and headed back up the mountain to catch up with his cows. Even back then, at the uh, young age of 24, I couldn't keep up with a herd of elk on the move, especially on a mountain as steep as this one. We'd tried, but knowing that thermals were still going to be moving down the slope on the backside of the ridge, we knew if we tried to keep pushing and push any farther, he'd probably wind us and it would be over for sure. So I just kicked back there on the side of the mountain and unlaced my boots and took them off to let my socks dry out a little bit and pulled a sandwich out from my backpack. We'd been so close so many times. We just needed another 10 yards, 20 yards, a clear shooting lane, uh, another three steps, just so close. And I dug my heels. I can still remember it's sunny out. You know, the frost is burning off. It's the sun just feels great. And I remember digging my heels in my socks into the grass and the pine needles as I just laid back on the steep hillside and took a bite out of my sandwich. It was just quiet. Everything was still. The sky was brilliant blue with just a couple of those fluffy white clouds just slowly floating across way up in the sky. And then all of a sudden, 70, maybe 80 yards straight to our left, a cow elk barked. And it sounded like the whole hillside broke loose as the herd of elk went crashing through the thick brush moving down the hill. We had no idea there were even any elk anywhere close by, let alone that close. And I'm sure they'd probably watched us uh, climb up there and bugle and take our boots off and start stuffing our faces with sandwiches. And finally, they decided they'd probably seen enough and barked to alert everything else in the canyon that there was danger right there close by. Maybe eight or 10 seconds passed after the cow barked and they all crashed down the hill. And we were still just sitting there shaking our heads in frustration when that bull bugled from right on the backside of the ridge just above us. He was close, but he hadn't crested over the top of the ridge onto our side of the mountain yet. And I still had a bite of sandwich in my mouth and I was scrambling to slide my feet into my boots quick enough. And I remember I just reached down, grabbed my bow, knocked an arrow, and with my bootlaces still dragging through the huckleberry brush, I tripped my way probably six, eight, ten yards or so ahead in the direction where the cows had been bedded. At the same time, Lance, who had his boots off, grabbed his bugle tube and bugled back at the bull. And within a matter of seconds, I could see the bull come over the ridge and without even stopping to scan for danger like they usually will when they get to a ridge, he just crashed right down the hillside, heading straight for where the cows had been bedded. I had already ranged a tree right in the draw in front of me, and I think it was like 52, 53 yards. And as the bull plowed down the hill right in front of that tree, I gave a really loud, uh, abrupt, very, uh, I don't know, just a, a cow call that was probably didn't sound a lot like a cow call, tried to, trying to get him to stop. And the bull slid to a stop there, and I was already drawn back and ready, and I still can't believe how fast everything happened and came together. And the fact that we were able to get ready and in position as quickly as we did. Uh, but the next thing I knew, the bull was laying on his side on the steep hillside right below us and kicking with the last few pulses and nerves that were still alive in his body. He only made it 15, maybe 20 yards after the shot. And after we gutted him out, back then I was still gutting elk, not even using the gutless method, but we found the outline of my broadhead going straight through the top of his heart. It literally severed all the arteries that connect right there on the top of the heart. There I was just standing there, bootlaces tangled up in the brush at my feet, 
remnants of a bite of my peanut butter and jam sandwich still wedged in my cheek and had a giant six by seven herd bull laying dead 60 yards below me. I couldn't believe what had just happened or how fast it had all happened. We got the bull cut up and made two trips up and down the mountain, packing pretty heavy loads of meat and antlers down to the bottom. And while we were packing, I had plenty of time to think about all the lessons I'd learned about hunting elk throughout that week. But there was one lesson that seemed to be most prevalent in my mind. When it comes to elk hunting success, confidence is critical. And confidence in my gear and my equipment is something I'm just not willing to compromise. And that's why I shoot a prime bow. As a mechanical engineer, when I first saw the technology Prime was designing into their bows, I was intrigued. Cam lean had always been an issue on other bows I'd shot, which made tuning the bows and ultimately getting consistent arrow flight nearly impossible. But four shots into my first Prime bow, it was tuned and my arrows were flying perfectly. The draw cycle was smooth and the back wall was solid. And they didn't stop there. In the years since I've started shooting a prime bow, they've added center shot technology, which allows the bow to lock on the target and keeps my pins from wandering around. They've also recently designed a new cam that completely eliminates cam lean that was previously caused by the offset cable design. Prime bows are continually leading the way when it comes to new technology and technology that makes a difference, not just some marketing gimmick that a marketing department can use to advertise a new model. There's no doubt that the stability of my prime bow has improved my accuracy, extended my range, and increased my confidence. To learn more about prime stability or to shoot one for yourself, visit your local bow shop or go to primearchery.com. All right, speaking of prime archery, I mentioned uh, at the beginning of this episode that I'm going to be giving away a new Prime bow to someone listening to this episode right now. So Prime released their new Prime Revix bow in 32, 34, and 36-inch axle-to-axle options for this year. And they've generously given me one to give away to help kick off the launch of Reaching Your Peak. So all you have to do to enter is go to the Elk Talk Podcast website. That's elktalkpodcast.com. And at the top of the homepage there, there's a little banner that says win a prime bow. Just click on that and go to the page. And there's a little form down at the bottom where you can enter your name and email address. And it's going to ask you to enter the sound that a bull elk makes. Just type the word bugle. That's just our anti-spam capture there. So do that, hit submit, and you're all entered. There's nothing to it, nothing to buy. No way to get more entries, just enter your name and your email address. And as a way to say thank you for listening to Reaching Your Peak, one of you is going to win a new Prime Bow. So at the end of this week, uh, probably on Saturday, we're going to select randomly one of the entries to win the Prime Bow. And we'll announce the winner in the next episode of Reaching Your Peak in two weeks. And we'll also email you if you're the winner, so that we can get your specs on the bow and your shipping info. So again, just go to Elk Talk Podcast to get entered. Before this elk season, uh, nearly 25 years ago, I'd had a lot of really close encounters with bugling bulls. I'd managed to shoot two smaller raghorn bulls with my bow, 
but I hadn't started putting everything together to really feel like I knew what I was doing, or at least how to be more consistent in killing elk. From this hunt, I could probably talk about a lot of different things. We talk about the wisdom that we gained from the drunk guy who shared the lesson of hunting overlooked areas and uh, overlooked pockets that a lot of times are visible from a main highway. It's definitely a lesson that I've fallen back on several times since that random meeting at the gas station. Another lesson from this hunt was just a reminder of how elk will typically circle around and try to come in downwind of the collar, which again illustrates the importance of choosing setups wisely and also being ready for an elk to just appear out of nowhere, even if you're the caller. There were a lot of lessons that were learned or reiterated during that hunt, but the one that stuck out the most to me and maybe one of the most important lessons that I've learned and still use every time I hunt elk is the value of persistence. And persistence is probably really closely related or even maybe confused with another really important elk hunting attribute, and that is perseverance. And technically, they're probably the same thing. But in my mind and for the purpose of, of this episode, uh, I think there's a difference. And I would say perseverance would describe how you push on in the face of a challenge over a longer period of time, like sticking with a really tough seven-day hunt. Persistence, though, I think is probably more of an acute version of perseverance, something that describes not giving up in the moment or not turning back after a single failure. And I'll definitely be sharing uh, hunts on future episodes here that highlight the value of perseverance. But today I want to share my thoughts on why it's important to be persistent. Up until that hunt, if I had managed to find a bull that was bugling and call it in, when the bull would turn and leave, which they did just about every time, I figured that hunt was just over. And the bull had come into my calls. I wasn't able to get a shot. So when the bull left, I was done. On this particular hunt, though, we were down to the wire. It was down to the last day, and this was the only prospect we had lined up. So rather than just turning and heading back to the truck after the bull had turned and left that first time, kind of out of desperation, we tried to chase him down. And what I learned from that morning of elk hunting was that if an elk comes in but doesn't smell you, you still have a chance. If that bull had circled downwind and caught our scent, our chances would have been really low of getting him to come into our calls again. He probably would have just bugled uh, enough to catch back up with his cows and then went completely silent. But since that hunt, I've had a lot of times where elk come in and sometimes they hear us or even see us, but if they don't smell us, we can usually just let them move off and regroup and then get right back on them. Sometimes we can even call them back in just a few minutes later. Another time when it's important to be persistent is when you find a bugling bull that just absolutely won't come into your calls. The herd bull that won't break away from his cows or a fired up mouthy bull that just bugles and runs or bugles and stands his ground until you get within 100 or 150 yards and then he moves off quietly. In all of these scenarios, if the elk don't wind you, don't stop. You might need to push in closer on the herd bull to really put enough pressure on him to make him leave his cows and come in to run you off. For the bull that stands his ground until you get inside that 100 or 150 yards, he's probably been pressured a bunch and he just wants to be able to see the elk that he's hearing and he isn't really willing to take a chance of that elk getting too close to him 
in an area where he can't see. It doesn't mean he's not interested, he's just overly cautious. So it might mean finding a setup that makes him feel more comfortable to come in. And the bull that just bugles and runs. There's probably, well, there's always a reason that a bull's moving away but staying vocal. Maybe he heard you as you're approaching him, or he caught a glimpse of some movement that he knew wasn't another elk. So in that case, just give him a couple minutes. Give him some time and let him move off and get settled down. Then you're typically going to be able to go in and find him again and try it again. If that bull has cows, it's likely the cows are probably just making their way from their feeding area up to their bedding area. And the bull just isn't willing to let him get away from him. So he keeps bugling, but nothing you're going to do is going to get him to stop and wait or to turn around and come back into your calls. But at some point, those cows are going to stop and bed down, which means the bull's also going to stop. And he's not going to be really excited about having another bull get so close to his cows now that they're bedded down. With the cows no longer on the move, he's going to be a lot more likely to come in. And he's probably going to come in uh, intent on teaching you a lesson and running you off. So sometimes it takes following the elk for miles up the mountain, depending on how far they travel from their feeding area to their bedding area. And it's not that the elk have been spooked or that the bull doesn't want to fight. It's just that the timing and location of your setup might not be ideal. So stick with it. I've called bulls in before and actually shot at and missed the bull and just let him retreat back to his cows and settle down. And they might move up the mountain half a mile. Uh, but if he doesn't smell you, even if he you know, sees something, hears something, there's a good chance he's going to keep bugling. And then when he bugles again, you know, in those instances where I've shot and missed, I just get back on him and keep following him and wait for another opportunity to call him back in and hopefully not miss a second time. Be persistent. Pester the bull. As long as he hasn't smelled you, and if you're able to keep him from seeing you as you're putting pressure on him, more times than not at some point, he's going to turn and come in. So don't stop. Sometimes it's simply just a matter of following him to the place where he feels more comfortable to come in. Other times, it's just a matter of following him until he gets tired of being pestered. I'm going to leave you with this for this episode. I have a good friend named Sean, and I've never met Sean in person. We've been email friends for a few years now, but Sean's been battling cancer for several years. And most days, he struggles to find the energy to be able to get out and chase elk. But his attitude has always been one of persistence and perseverance. And he loves to share and to listen to elk hunting stories. At the end of each of his emails, he always signs off the same way, simply saying, until next time, I'll see you on the next ridge or mountaintop or wherever the elk are bugling. So in honor of Sean, I'm going to be signing off on these episodes in the same way. Until next time, I'll see you guys on the next ridge or mountaintop or wherever the elk are bugling.